right, all right. Can you just imagine what the Lord might do in our fellowship as we're reading the word together? I think it's an exciting, I know for some of you it's just a continuation of what you've already been doing. For some of you it is a return to uh, regular Bible reading. And for some of you it's the first time. That's all okay. First time for you to get into the word. I'm just excited to see what the Lord is going to do through this time that we commit to him. And always remember, church, I know I said this last week, but remember to pray as you read. Don't just start reading. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me distinctively through your word today? Let something leap off the page, and I'm asking you to enlighten my heart. Always remember to pray and have him open the eyes of your heart as you are reading his word. As we kick off this week of consecration, our Bible reading program, I'm going to spend just a few minutes encouraging us on the importance of the word of the Lord. I know some of you think, well, I don't need to hear this. We all need to hear it. We all need to be reminded. And by the way, with this being the fifth Sunday of the month, we welcome our children into our service this morning because it's Family Worship Sunday. And all the children should have received a little sheet like this. Kids, hold this up and let me see if you got it. Who's got it? Okay, yeah. There's some there, some in the balcony. Are there, if there's any children who did not receive this, raise your hand right now and the ushers are going to come and give you one. This is going to help you listen to the pastor this morning, okay? Go ahead and give the adults one too while you're at it, ushers. They might need it. If anybody wants one of these, it helps to keep some notes and it's kind of fill in the blank. So we're doing this to help you today. We're not providing crayons for you, but uh, there's something there that you can, that you can color as well. And I'm gonna, I'll try to, uh, I was trying to figure out how I can, some of the things I want to be sure you, that you uh, get, <clears throat> that when, um, when I've come to that point, I may like give a little cough or something, so you know, <clears throat> that's, that was the point you were supposed to get. All right. So um, the very first thing is, what's the title of the message? Well, the title is Read, Listen, Obey. Everybody say it with me. It's one of the craziest statements that you'll find in the whole of Scripture. It's found in 2 Kings, and it's associated with the people of God. It's also associated with the king who took the throne at one of the lowest points in the time of Israel's history. This king's name is Josiah, and he followed two very wicked kings that had plummeted the entire nation into such evil and really led them to uh, be apart from God. But Josiah comes in with a desire to do that which is pleasing in the, in the Lord's sight, and so he just starts, starts to clean house. And the first place he starts is where God always starts with cleaning house, and which house is that? His own house. That's where God starts, cleaning in his own house. And so they're restoring and they're renovating the temple and they're cleaning up and they're making things new and tearing down walls and building other things and doing whatever. And in the midst of all of this activity, there's a verse that is eye-catching to me and it's found in 2 Kings chapter 22. It's the first part of verse 8. And here's, here's the verse. It says this, Hilkiah... The high priest said to Shaphan, the court secretary, said, guess what? I added that part. Guess what? I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. In the midst of all of this stuff we're doing, in the midst of uh, cleaning this up and renovating and rebuilding and, and redecorating and all of this, guess what? I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. In other words, I have found the Bible in the house of the Lord. 
Now, I don't know about you, but here's what I deduce from this statement. If you've found it, that must mean it had to have been bingo. You got it. And here's the other thing that's interesting about that statement. They didn't lose it in the streets. They didn't lose it at the mall. They didn't lose it in their car. They didn't lose it at the Cowboy Stadium. Had to throw that in today, sorry. They lost it in church. They lost the word of the Lord in church. And there's something very, very important, Bethesda, that we need to always remember and never forget, and it's this. When God's word is missing, God's voice is missing. Why don't you say that with me? When And I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here and take advantage of this moment to make a statement to all of you who so faithfully volunteer in this fellowship. I'm talking to ushers, parking lot attendants, teachers, greeters, choir members, musicians, children's workers, all those of you involved in outreach, Bethesda Cares, all those who work so faithfully to help keep this place going. I think there's something in this passage that we at least need a reminder of. And I I say that, uh, as you know my background, my history, raised in a pastor's home, raised basically on a piano bench in a church all my life. I know what it is to be volunteering. I know what it is to be busy in the house of the Lord. But we need to see what's taking place in this passage. They were faithfully doing stuff in God's house without faithfully hearing God's voice. Doing stuff in the house of the Lord without hearing God's voice. And all I'm saying is this, working in God's church is not a substitute for sitting under the word of the Lord. Just because you sing about Jesus doesn't mean you know Jesus. Is that a little too hard for you this morning? As grateful as we are, and we truly, truly, this place runs on volunteers. As grateful as we are for every volunteer and every act of service unto the Lord, we also recognize that every volunteer has a responsibility to hear the word of the Lord for themselves. Keep this in mind. Activity is not intimacy. Say it. I'm really good at being busy, really, really good at that. I've always been busy in the house of the Lord. But if I'm really honest with you, I can tell you there were many, many years, particularly as a young person, where my responsibility, my activity was in the music of the church and sitting at a piano bench and leading a choir, and I always had responsibilities. And there were a few times it was easy to hide behind those responsibilities particularly when the Spirit of God was moving across a service and was speaking to the hearts of people. Uh, Please hear me, please, please hear me. I don't say this to in any way discourage anyone from volunteering. Heaven knows we need more of you to volunteer. 
But I'm just saying we must be very careful that we don't allow our busyness in the house of the Lord to replace the absolute, essential, fundamental spiritual discipline of reading and listening and living under the Word of the Lord. It is entirely possible to be scurrying around this place, playing instruments, helping children, leading our youth, and yet shriveling up in your own soul. They lost the Bible in the house of God. They lost the Bible in church. It's almost a crazy statement. It's almost like saying, I lost my child in my house, or I lost the meal in the restaurant. And what a warning this is to all of us today. Because as believers, we absolutely must have a commitment to the Word of the Lord. Okay, I'm going to, you didn't know this coming in today, but I'm going to give you a Bible test right now. (laughs) Get ready. Are you ready? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your fist down by your side like this. Nobody's nobody's going to see. We're not going to embarrass anybody. But put your fist right down. Balcony, I'm waiting for you. Come on. Waiting for you too. I can see up there, sort of. Put your fist down but by your side. I'm going to read about a dozen phrases. And for everyone that I read that you think it's in the Bible, I want you to put up a finger. Okay, got your fist down by your side? Here's your Bible test. Here we go. And we're not, gonna, we're not grading on the curve here. We're not going to expose anybody. I just want you to use your own little private test right here. Just put a finger up if you think this phrase is in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. The lion shall lay down with the lamb. Hate the sin, love the sinner. The devil made me do it. We are all God's children. Think before you speak. God won't give you more than you can handle. God helps those who help themselves. Confession is good for the soul. There go I, but for the grace of God. Money is the root of all evil. Honesty is the best policy. Spare the rod, spoil the child. This too shall pass. So how many of those are in the Bible? None of them. See, some of you guys. None of them. Maybe something similar. So here's why we're being challenged today. We need the word of the Lord, don't we? We may have just proved that with some of you, I don't know. We're being challenged. Listen to me, listen to me. We're being challenged because Jesus challenged his own disciples. And the first challenge of Jesus to his disciples was, the first challenge of Jesus to his disciples was, follow me. Follow me. And some of you are brand new in your journey with Christ, and thank God you've decided to follow him. Some of you decided years or decades ago to follow him. That's all terrific. But that was the first challenge he was basically given to each of his, when he called them, 
call his disciples. The first challenge was, follow me. But I want to give you another challenge because there was a second challenge that Jesus gave to his disciples. And it was particularly in the last sermon of Jesus in what is called the Upper Room Discourse, which is essentially uh, the Gospel of John chapters 13 through 16. And here we see Jesus switching from follow me to a different command. And he says, all right, since you're following me now, I challenge you to abide in me. Follow me, yes, but now abide in me. Well, what did he mean? What did, what did Jesus mean when he gave them that second challenge? When he challenged them to abide with him or abide in him, he was essentially challenging them to spend time with him. He wants us to spend time, not only to follow him. A lot of people say, I'm a Christ follower. I bet if I asked this morning, most of you would raise your hand and say, yes, I'm a Christ follower. But are you one who abides in him? Are you one who spends time with him? And he's saying, you chose to follow me. Now I'm looking for time with you. And I think this is a challenge to us for 2019, to not only follow Christ, but to abide in Christ by making sure we're spending time with Him, spending time in His Word. If you went today to Yellowstone Park out in the West, there is often posted a, a sign that uh, could be confusing, and it's one that is not always obeyed, but the sign says this, don't feed the bears. Now, to me, that would seem a bit unnecessary to have that sign, I wouldn't need that sign, it, it, you know, but and you would think that we know what that means. We think that we know why they would put up a sign that says, don't feed the bears. But a, a park ranger would tell you that it's not just because you want to keep them from coming close to you. You don't want the bears up close to you. In fact, that's the secondary reason that they put that sign up. The primary reason is this. If you feed them, they will die. Doesn't make sense, but here's what the ranger will tell you. If you feed them, then when the winter comes, they will have lost their ability to find food for themselves. Sila. And if the only way we get fed is from right here, and we don't have a way for ourselves... When those difficult times come, we have to have a way to feed ourselves lest we die. This once-a-week pulpit cannot be, no matter who's speaking from this pulpit, cannot be your only spiritual meal. This pulpit cannot be the only spiritual challenge in your life. You cannot eat just once a week and survive, which is why the pastors have encouraged us all to engage in the Immersed Bible Reading Program, to invigorate the spiritual well-being for the whole of our church, which includes you. Because here's the reality about the Word of the Lord. The Bible is meant to be bread for daily use, not cake for occasional parties. You want that again? The Bible is meant to be bread for daily use, not cake for occasional parties. 
Far, far too many of us come on Sunday for a piece of cake when the Word should be bread to us every single day. The Huffington Post gives us an article called, America Loves the Bible but Just Doesn't Read It Very Much. They surveyed, surveyed thousands of Americans and learned that 88% own a Bible. The average household has 4.4 Bibles, according to their survey. But their survey revealed that 60% of those who own a Bible read it maybe four times a year. That's cake reading. That's not bread use. That's cake reading. And they say the younger the, younger the person is, the higher that percentage goes, a larger percentage of them only do it four times or three times or two times a year. So today I want to challenge you with an iconic verse that though this verse is associated with particularly one book of the Bible, I, I'm, I'm going to present it today and propose it to you as a grid or a template for us to apply to the whole of the Bible. In fact, I feel so strongly about this that my concern is if we don't apply this grid or this template uh, from the verse I'm going to give you in just a second, we run the risk of losing the book in the house of God. As believers, we must have a strong spiritual discipline in the word of the Lord so that we can feed ourselves the other six days of the week. You're going to sleep on me. Here is, what, here is the way John begins the book of the Revelation in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, God blesses the one who, which is another way of saying, or happy is the man or the woman or the boy or the girl who reads this book, listens to this book, and obeys this book. Say those three points with me. Who reads It's right there in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Happy is the person who reads it, listens to it, obeys it. That means also they're going to be blessed. Blessed is the person, boy or girl, man or woman, who reads it, listens, obeys. And what an incredible way to think of and approach the Word of God. Read it, listen to it, obey it. If you want 2019 to be the happiest year you've ever had, John just gave you the prescription for that. You may have all kinds of other plans on how you're going to achieve happiness and success for this coming year. But the happiest you'll be, according to the Word of the Lord, is when you put your eyes on the Word of, on the Word of God, when you read it, when you listen to it, and you obey it. John promises you that your happiness will increase when your Bible reading increases. He promises you your happiness will increase as your listening to the Word of the Lord increases, as your obedience to the Word of the Lord increases. Your happiness and your blessing will increase. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon, you know, a famous pastor, he said. He said, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who is not falling apart. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who is not falling apart. So I'm presenting this challenge to us for 2019. Let's read this book. Let's listen to this book. And then let's obey this, this book. It's my three points. I'm going to bust these three things open before we go today. Number one, let's read this book. 
One of the 19th century preachers who has some great commentaries on the New Testament, J.C. Riles, said this. No one ever said at the end of his days, I've read my Bible too much, or I've thought about God too much. No one ever said, or I've prayed too much. In fact, if you know anything about the life of the late Dr. Billy Graham, you know, he was quite open. It's very easy to find this information about his regrets in life. When he was asked about his life regrets, Dr. Graham said this. He said, if I had my life to live over again, I would spend more time immersed in the Word of God. The greatest regret that I have is that I didn't read the Word of God more because now I feel at times that I'm empty when I wished I had been full in my hardest times. That's from Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Let me ask you this. How many of you actually still own a book Bible or you bring a Bible, an actual book with you to church? Let me see. Let me raise it up. How many Bibles do we have in the house today? Okay. I'm assuming the rest of you are electronic. When I was young, there were not near as many choices with Bibles as there are today. And now, in fact, I was in Mardell's or Lifeway or somewhere. When you go to the Bible bookstore, there's an entire wall. Those of you who've been in there, an entire wall with just Bibles of every translation, every version, and every, uh, and every color. Speaking of color, let me help you know that according to statistics, did you know there's a certain color Bible that is better than all the rest? Did you know that? I found this. How many of you have a black Bible? Raise your hand if you have a black Bible. How many of you have a pink one? Okay. Any other colors? You've got a different color Bible. Okay. The, the best Bible you can have is a red one, R-E-A-D. I'm sorry. I know that was a cheap shot, but it's also true. The Bible's like a telescope. If a man looks through his telescope, he, see worlds, he sees worlds beyond. If he looks at his telescope, he doesn't see anything. So the Bible is to be looked through so that you can see what is beyond your current situation, to see what God is saying in heaven to you. Most people only look at it, and then it becomes only a dead letter or only a book. But the challenge for us is to not look at it, but to look through it. I grew up in a home with southern comfort food. Hallelujah. That's why I look the way I look. <clears throat> I had a grandmother who was an expert at cooking. How many of you had a grandma that could really cook southern home cooking? Oh, yeah, then you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to make you hungry. Babes is now just two exits down from us, by the way. <laughs> my grandmother was an expert. My mother was, was good as well. Becky's a fabulous cook. Just getting her to do it is the challenge from sometimes. Because uh, she's busy working. Help me out here. Becky is a fabulous cook. But I'm sure when I think about my mother, my 91-year-old mother, my grandmother who passed away back in the 90s, I'm sure they never read a label to see what all the information was, how much sodium, how much what the cholesterol. I'm sure they never read any of that. And I know for a fact they never followed a recipe. It was a pinch of this and a dart of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. 
And I don't know about your house, with my southern comfort food, food, everything was fried. In fact, if they didn't know what to do with it, they just dipped it in batter and fried it, and everything was great. Everything was fried, lots of thick sauces, you know, heavy creams, all the bad stuff, and always whole milk. Yes, always whole milk. Well, Becky and I were married just over 44 years ago. We were very young when we got married, five or six, something like that. We were married just over 44 years ago, and for several years, things were just fine. But the day came where somehow, unbeknownst to me, she must have become more health conscious, or she watched a TV show, or something happened, because one day, without an appropriate conversation, without discussion, without counseling, She came home from the grocery store with a gallon of 2% milk. I thought, this has got to be some kind of joke. We can't do do this here. Surely it's in the Bible somewhere, thou shalt drink whole milk. I'm sure it is. Either that or 2% milk is an abomination. I'm sure we're going to find that in the Bible. Well, folks, I poured a glass and I thought it looked kind of funny. Taste it, yuck. What is this? And the, you, want, you know what the worst part of all of it was? You cannot successfully dip Oreos in 2% milk. <laughs> Can't do it. It won't even stick to the Oreo. Oreo. It's like white water is what it looks like. But you know what? As much as I hated it, as much as I griped about it, she still bought it and kept on buying it and still buys it today. And I remember thinking, I know I committed till death do us part, but hold on, hold on. You have crossed the line here. This is clearly crossing the line. But guess what? After a while, I started to like it. And the next time then that I had whole milk after that, it was like, ooh, yuck, what is this? Because once you start doing it, guess what? You develop a taste for it. Are you hearing me today? When you begin to open the Word of God each day, each day, it will become habit-forming for you, and then guess what's going to happen? You're going to develop an insatiable taste for it. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen to this. I saw, uh, uh, somebody sent me this. I saw a warning label that, that you can buy. You can put it on your Bible if you want to. It says this. It says, Warning. Bible reading can be habit-forming. Putting its principles into practice can cause loss of anxiety. Decrease appetite for lying, cheating, stealing, and hating. And symptoms of growing sensations of love and peace and joy and compassion will rise up inside of you. Now, folks, that's a warning label. That's one that we need. We're still on point one. You're taking too much time here this morning. So, Pastor Dan, where do I start? Well, keep this in mind. God feeds the birds, but he doesn't throw the worms in the nest for you. You have to put forth some effort, and you have to take a step or two. So I'm telling you, making it easy. Go to that west lobby at the end of the service, get an immersed Bible, start at the beginning, 
Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your heart 15 minutes a day, five days a week. And if you get behind, catch up a day or so, and you'll have the whole New Testament completed with all of us by Holy Week or by Easter. And if you're still confused about how it all works, see me or Pastor Brent or Pastor Shaler after the service or Suzanne at the desk back there. They can help you. And you can always go to the website, go to your app. It's all there. You do that, and it will become habit-forming, and it's the best thing you can do for, for 2019. Anybody agree with me today? Because you see, here's what we know to be true. Those who only sample the Bible never really acquire a taste for it. If you just sample it, if you're a cake reader, you never really develop uh, a taste for what the Word of God has for you. Let me tell you what the Apostle Paul said the Bible can do for you. This is what he said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. And let me just say, by the way, Paul's talking to you know, the, the people of God. You don't even have to be a believer to go on this Bible reading journey with us. Maybe you're a person who's Somebody invited you to come today. Maybe you've been coming and hanging around this church for a few weeks, but you're not necessarily a believer. You've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said, I'm going to commit my life to him. If you don't even claim to be a follower of Christ, I encourage you to take the challenge with us and to see just what might happen to you if you just begin to read the word of the Lord. Maybe you're a person who says, you know, I'm, I'm cynical. I've I've been burnt by the church, I've been burnt by this situation, or, or Christians have not been uh, to me what I thought they should have been, and you've got your reasons to have your questions and your doubts, then go with us on this journey. Read the word of the Lord with us. It was Charles Spurgeon again who said this. He said, defend the Bible, forget about it. The Bible is like a lion let out of a cage. It will defend itself. Just read the word of the Lord and see what it says to you. I challenge you if you're not a believer, open up this book for a week or two, and I promise you this, because the promise is in the Word of God. You'll be blessed and you'll be happier, once, and then you'll be, begin to develop a taste for it. And you may say, oh, it's just a book, to which I say, oh, no, it's not. This is a supernatural book, and the author of this book is still alive. Hello. And the author of this book can still change people's lives. Give me a hallelujah for that. Read the book. Point number two. I'm only taking an hour per point here, so relax. Listen to this book. Listen to this book. How many of you plug in your phone at night so that in the morning it will be charged 100%? Let me see. Okay, I do too. One morning recently I reached for my phone and noticed a beeping telling me that it was low on battery and it was about to go off. Oh, that's weird. I plugged it in just like I do every night before I went to bed. But you know what I had done? I had taken the plug and plugged it between the phone case <laughs> and the little slot where it's supposed to, how many of you have done that before? Plugged it in there. So what was happening? I was wanting it to be fully functional and be all that it can be with only one charge from the day before. I was wanting it to last for two days, but giving it a charge for one day. And then it hit me, look what happens when I don't charge up my phone. What about my own soul? What about my own soul when I don't even charge up my own soul? 
Because if the only charge you get is walking into Bethesda on Sunday morning and plugging in, I have to tell you something. That charge may last on Sunday, but guess what? Monday's coming. Let me just say it. If my phone can't last today, then my soul can't last today unless it's plugged into the right source. That's because listening to this word changes things inside of us. And if Proverbs 18.21 is correct, and I believe it is, that the tongue and what we are listening to can bring death or life, then I need to be sure that this gate, this ear gate that is taking in life and death every single day has a constant flow of life coming in. Is there, can I get a witness to that today? Trust me, there's plenty of death coming at you daily. There's plenty of negativity coming at you all the time, and it is your job and your responsibility and no one else's to be sure that you are receiving life. You need to be mindful of what is getting through that ear gate that God has given you. When you are listening to the Word of God, it has profound effect on your soul, and it brings life because the Word of the Lord is life. Reminds me of the old song we used to sing. It's probably still in a hymnal somewhere. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life. Beautiful words. Wonderful words. They are words, wonderful words of life. Never, ever, ever underestimate the power of reading and listening to the Word of God and what it's able to do in your life. One of the verses I have to go to, it's a quick go-to for me sometimes when I feel overwhelmed or discouragement or, or, or uh, despair can come on or when I've heard all kinds of negativity. It's what Paul said to the Philippians, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, they're pure, the things that are lovely, the things that are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. How many know you can be encouraged by that? Then hear the word of the Lord. When you're not in this word, then you don't know what to declare. You don't know what needs to be coming out of your mouth. But when you get this word inside of you and you're put in a challenging situation, what happens is God's word goes from here to here and then it comes out of your mouth. Because then you know what to declare, and you know how to declare the word of the Lord, and it gives life and it gives power. Read the book. Listen to this book. And the last one, obey this book. This is the hard one. Listen to this, Bethesda. People don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. People reject it because it contradicts them. People do not reject the, oh, well, it's, it's full of, the book's full of contradictions. You, you know. People don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. They reject it because it contradicts them and their lifestyle. And look at me right now. Let me ask you a hard question. What do you do when you come across a passage that contradicts what you're doing? What do you do? When you read the Word of God and it contradicts a worldview to which you hold, it contradicts a mindset that you have formed in whatever way, whatever how long, contradicts something that you have valued for a long, but it says no, 
The question is, when you come to that moment, who wins? Who wins? Do you just justify? Do you just defend your actions? Do you just find some way to maneuver around it? Who wins? When you get into this immersed Bible in these next few weeks, you're going to be happier, according to the book of Revelation, until you come to the contradiction part, until it challenges you, until it proves itself to be that two-edged sword exposing your innermost thoughts and desires. That's what the Word is able to do because you will have to come face to face with this. Do you believe God or do you believe you? That's going to be the challenge for all of us, starting with me. Do you believe God or do you believe you? It was the great American novelist Mark Twain who said this, most people are bothered by the passages of Scripture they don't understand, but the passages that bother me are the ones I do understand. It's one thing to read this Word. It's one thing to hear or listen to this Word. But dear friend, and I say this with every pastoral instinct that's within me, if we don't obey this Word, it will be catastrophic for us. Let me just say it to you very, very plainly. When you do not obey what God is saying to you through His Word, then you are declaring that you know better than God. That's what you're saying. I wish there were a nicer way to say it to you. But when you don't obey it, your very action is saying, if you don't obey the book, your very action is saying, you I know better than God, is what you're saying. So, when God speaks to you through His Word on your finances and tithing, do you believe God or do you believe you? I've just gone to meddling, in case you didn't know. Do you know better than God on how to stay within the appropriate conduct for the healthy covenant of marriage? Are you going to believe you? Or are you going to believe the word of the Lord? Are you going to believe your emotions wherever they may take you in the course of a day? Or are you going to believe the word of the Lord? Do you know better than God when it comes to matters of eternity? Do you know better than God on the directions of how to get his, to his house, how to get to heaven? Do you know better? Because the word is very clear. It was Jesus himself who said, unless you know better than Jesus, it was Jesus himself who says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's what his word says. Because the fact remains for all of us. Either Jesus is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. We read the book. We listen to the book. We obey the book. That is the way, Bethesda, to a blessed life. That is the way to a happy life for 2019. Bow your heads in prayer with me, please. If anyone here today wants to make a decision to follow Jesus, 
It's not happening with an emotional appeal. If anyone wants to make that decision, I want to make myself available to you. Come and talk to me afterwards. Maybe you've been developing a hunger over a period of time. You need to know the Lord. You need to give your life to Him. Come and talk to me, one of the pastors, after the service today. And let us have the privilege of praying with you and helping you get started on your journey with the Lord Jesus. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We stand at the threshold of yet another year. So thankful for the grace that you gave us for this past year. We're not ashamed nor afraid to admit that we need you today more than ever before. And we simply say and plead with you, O oh God, take not your spirit from us because we need you. As we begin this first week of our new year, I'm praying, Lord, that Bethesda will rise to the challenge to consecrate ourselves unto you. We set aside this time, the first fruits of our year, to fast, to pray, to call on your name, and to commit ourselves anew to your word. Lord, help us to love you more, help us to serve you more, help us to honor you more in all that we do. We ask these things in the peerless and matchless name of Jesus the Christ. And the church said, Amen. Everyone stand with me, please.